Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson. My guest this week is Brian Watkins, whose heady new play, Epiphany, is inspired by the classic James Joyce short story, The Dead. But Watkins moves the narrative up to our own post-pandemic times. Epiphany is currently playing at Lincoln Center's Mitzi Newhouse Theater through July 24th. Hello, Brian Watkins. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Hi there. Thank you for having me. We usually start these conversations with just a brief description of the play we're talking about for listeners who haven't had the chance to see it. So would you tell them what Epiphany is about? Sure. Um, Epiphany is a play that's uh, loosely inspired by James Joyce's story, The Dead. And it's, it's really about a woman who is throwing a dinner party uh, in celebration of a holiday that she she doesn't know much about. And throughout the course of the evening, we start to get hints that she might be hiding more than meets the eye. And uh, we get to experience several different epiphanies throughout the evening, as it were. I don't want to ruin too much, but that's <laughs> the general, general thrust behind it. Now, you said the play was sort of inspired by the James Joyce short story, The Dead. And I've read that reading the story did spur you to write this play. And I was just curious, what was it about the story that so captivated you? Oh, my gosh, so many different things. I mean, I had read it before, I think for the first time in high school. And then I read it again, and I was out in Ireland workshopping a play of mine called Wyoming. So I, I felt sort of like a, a foreigner in this in this place that uh, wasn't familiar, but also wasn't unfamiliar. And I put on James Joyce's story, The Dead, and recording of it. And I listened to it as I sort of walked the streets of Dublin alone. And, and I think it kind of cast a spell on me. I think it, mm. it brought up so many questions and, and, and a lot of it had to do with my own ignorance of, about what the characters in the story were celebrating. I, I had very little context for what Epiphany was, for why they were gathering, for what it meant to them. And then the story sort of drops into this deeply uh, transfixing place for the last you know few pages. And becomes about so much more than what the previous part of the story was about. And from that, I kind of rushed back to New York and, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I gathered a group of people and, and I asked them a few questions. And one of those questions was, do you know what epiphany is? And if you had to guess, what would that be? <laughs> and, and then secondarily, um, if you could create a holiday, what, what would you want to celebrate and why? And then, and then kind of the last set of questions was about ritual. You know, what do you think of ritual? What, uh, what sort of rituals have informed your life? Uh, what rituals do you miss or do you wish existed? Things like that. And, and from that came a play that was sort of around this idea of togetherness and why we gather and um, tried to explore some, uh, some of the questions that hopefully made it a little more than a dinner party play. <laughs> uh, this isn't an adaptation of uh, the dead. You, you've taken some elements and you've reworked them. Uh, were you 
at all intimidated at the prospect of reworking Joyce or being compared to James Joyce? Oh, God, yes. And and that's why I, I, I didn't want to endeavor an adaptation. I thought, you know, this story is so so perfect. I mean, I think it's it's known as the, the greatest short story out there for a reason. And so I never wanted to try to reimagine or remake that. I simply wanted to sort of riff on that and, and, and attempt using the sort of emotional scaffolding of the story that he uses as the same structure for, for the play. And hopefully um, it pays its respects to Joyce more than anything else. One of the things, one of the big changes that you made, and we're not going to spoil things, so don't worry, listeners. One of the changes you made is to move the focus from the central character in the story, Gabriel, to the elderly aunt who hosts the party. And I wondered, was that an approach that just came to you? Did you try others? And I don't think it spoils too much to say that Gabriel is kind of missing in this play. Yeah, I I think it was one of the main conceits uh, was what would happen if Gabriel didn't show up. And you know, for, for Joyce, Gabriel's named Gabriel for a reason. And, and there's all these sort of ties to the, the angel Gabriel that, that he would be the, in, in Epiphany at least, he is the bringer of meaning. He's the bringer of answers and history. And, and, and instead, this uh, different person comes in his stead and sort of throws the whole uh, course of events into a tailspin of soul searching and, 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 and even a little comedy. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the, the main conceit, was trying to imagine a, a story or a world where Gabriel didn't show up, um, which I think for me has has a lot to do with what it feels like to be in the world right now, that there is a, a level of disorientation and dislocation and a dizzying array of events that seem to disorient us. And so hopefully there is there is some of that feeling uh, that comes across and, and resonates with audiences. It just occurred to me that we may have some listeners who don't know what the epiphany is. So could you tell them? <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly didn't know uh, before I before I wrote the play. And, you know, the epiphany is traditionally the, the final day of Christmas. Uh, historically, it is when the wise men stumbled upon uh, the baby Jesus. And, and it is called epiphany because it is the sort of manifestation of a miracle or the discovery of a miracle and the epiphany itself is a feast that is in celebration of that in this play as they're trying to figure out what the epiphany is the underlying theme seems to be about the role of rituals in our lives and it seems as though you think that we've gotten away from from rituals or don't quite understand their function in modern society, or am I reading too much into that? You know, I, I don't quite know what's happened, if I'm being honest. I think, I think the play is a, a bit of a quest for that very question that you just asked. Uh, it's, a, it's a quest for the answer to that question, that what what has happened here, or are we... You know, are we uniquely lonely in this age and or are we uniquely individualistic? And and if so, uh, how did we get here and 
does does the part of communal ritual have anything to do with that? And there's no one answer for that. You know, the play asks more questions than it provides answers, and uh, that's always been the, the aim of the of the play, at least. So I, I'm not sure. I, I I hope that it's an investigation of the sort of general malaise or anxiety that we're all sensing right now, um, particularly after the pandemic. And you know, even the making of the play was. You know, we have such an incredible ensemble and, and our an amazing director, Tan Raffaele, like the captain of the ship with such grace and aplomb and rigor. And it was very hard to, uh, at least for me, to to refind uh, the theater muscles that had atrophied during the, the pandemic, that there was this sort of there was a sense of, oh, you know, I've forgotten how to do this thing in a way. And the, the general atrophying of togetherness, I think, is something that has occurred um, from the pandemic. And, and how do we come together? Or why do we come together um, mm -hmm. is a prevailing question uh, that we hope the play asks. And, and I think our, our ensemble sort of brilliantly tees up. This is the second production, right? The, the play premiered in 2019 at the Druid Theatre in Ireland. And I was wondering, did you make any changes for the Lincoln Center production to more closely reflect the experience that people went through during the pandemic? I did, yeah. I, I'd say most of the changes, though, came from just the general process of rewriting a play, that you learn something by each production that you can have for it. And so I, I was able to learn so much from the Drew production, which was uh, so brilliantly directed by Gary Hines. And we had a, a, an international uh, cast in a, in a way that uh, the Lincoln Center cast is very American. So the rewriting really came from a point of trying to sharpen and specify for not just a post-pandemic age, but also the ensemble that we had here and giving it a sort of sense of American groundedness that, that we were aspiring for. And um, I, I think I, I think in that sense, you know, I added some I added some cell phone ringing that that was that's a little more frequent in this production than it was in the previous production and trims and elucidations in certain ways. Aaron gives a few speeches, the proxy that Gabriel sends uh, a few of her speeches changed um, quite significantly um, to try to really get at this feeling of. Uh, being stuck, I think, that, that really came up a lot in the table work as we were rehearsing this play, being stuck in the world and and not being able to as readily envision uh, the future as, as, as maybe some of us used to be able to. So there were all sorts of different things that the process illuminated for me uh, as the writer to, to try and tackle and get some rewrites in there. But, but so much of it is really uplifted by... Uh, such a, an incredible company of, of people from both productions that have uh, stewarded it so well. This is a, a play that's dealing with uh, some very serious questions, but I don't want to mislead listeners. I laughed a lot. <laughs> good, good. This is very funny in parts, and one of the anchors of that, uh, I think, is Mary Louise Burke. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't known that you'd done the play in Ireland, I would have thought that you wrote the part of the hostess, Morkin, for her. Did you have her in mind? She is so wonderful in the role. 
she she truly is like a treasure of the American theater and and so perfectly uh, fit into this role that uh, it was it was a total dream when she agreed to do it. And, you know, I guess all I can say is that sometimes those things, the stars align and uh, it's a testament to her decades and decades of experience and talent. And, and I think also Mary Louise just exudes this level of, of vulnerability um, and openness in her work. And, and that's what she's really like to work with. There's there's just such a devotion to the play and getting getting it right in her words. And, you know, she's just the kindest soul to work with and be around. And it's it's one of the biggest privileges of my career to to see her embody this role and to see her do what she does so sprightly and so um, emotionally. Um, she's running up and down several sets of stairs for two hours every performance <laughs> and then delivering remarkably tricky monologues at the same time. And, and there's a level of virtuosity in what she's doing that I really, uh, you're right to, to focus on because I, I really think audiences should come for that alone. <laughs> um, there's, there's something in what she's doing that is, that is kind of a miracle to witness on stage. And, and that's just been um, so wonderful to witness. But I don't want to slight the rest of the cast because it is an ensemble yes, and you yes. do have a terrific ensemble. But I've read that you structured the play or wrote the parts in such a way that characters can be played by different ethnicities and in some cases by different uh, genders. Is that so? Yeah, it is. And, and the intention behind it um, is to create opportunities where there typically might not be opportunities. So, you know, if there's a company doing this in, say, Japan or in New Orleans or in Omaha, Nebraska, and one of those companies says, oh, we have this amazing actor that we, who just exudes the essence of this character, I didn't want ethnicity or gender to be a um, determining factor for who could do the role. Um, I wanted it to be to be open in that case. And so the real intention is to create a sense of um, allowing each ensemble to sharpen it, the, the strength that it has and, and bring the strength that it has to the play, as opposed to me dictating it the other way around. So that's been a, a very interesting thing to cast for this production and for the Irish production. And um, hopefully it, it, it um, you know, allows future companies to really... Uh, bring new lenses onto the play. Then how did you go about then auditioning and then casting of the roles? As I understand there's a same-sex couple in one production that was a heterosexual uh, couple in the other production. How did you go about auditioning and then just casting them well thankfully daniel swee the casting director at lincoln center really uh guided us in every possible direction we had lots of long conversations about okay if we go this route then it means this if we go this route it means this and um daniel swee just brought us such incredible groups of actors and, and we were always sort of searching for what is the essence of this character that we're um that we're looking for that we what are some things we don't know about this character yet and how can we use a casting process to illuminate our own understanding and 
and so it was it was very complex and and very um very complicated but but i think also at the same time one adjoining factor that we that we came to is that all the actors in this play are truly like selfless actors actors they are all deep craftspeople like you said it's such a remarkable ensemble for that reason everyone from like jonathan hadari to uh carmen zillis to francois baptiste to uh, you know they're, they're all such devoted selfless actors that have really brought about aspects of this play um that are a testament to to their deep devotion to each other and to their own craft well, I'm sure for them, it's also a delight because you've created such interesting and layered characters for them to play and put them in such uh, an intriguing uh, play. Uh, so thank you for that. And thank you for talking with us uh, about it. Um, I really enjoyed this production. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for a, a great conversation. and I appreciate you coming to see the class. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll consider supporting this show and all the other Broadway radio podcasts with a contribution via our Patreon page. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can find the page and some extras at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.